Welcome to the Rock of Ages Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Duke Backus. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit rockofagesaog.org. I want us to get into the Word tonight and continue in this message that we started this past Wednesday called the Beatitudes. I know some people struggle with pronouncing that word. Uh, it's not beatitudes. <laughs> It is Beatitudes. Everybody say it with me. Beatitudes. Amen. Yeah, it's like these are the attitudes that you should be. Amen. Jesus uh, labeled it out pretty easy for us. So the Beatitudes. I I finished off last week and we we covered five quick points, but we were talking about Matthew chapter 5 verses 1 and 2. Amen. Matthew chapter 5 verses 1 and 2, we see that Jesus has called the, the, you know, he sees the multitudes of people and he calls his disciples up to the hillside so that he could teach them. And, and they sat down at his feet and he began to teach them these next sayings and these next, this Sermon on the Mount is what it's called the most famous for. But we noticed two things in the scripture that were really important for us to kind of touch on. And number one is this, is, is, is we have to understand, church, that as a disciple, because this, these scriptures were given to disciples, amen? And these, these scriptures should teach us and indicate for us, help us understand that in order to be a people that's going to reach multitudes, you first have to become a disciple. And I have to stress this because the backwards gospel or I'll just say the false gospel or false teaching would say that you come to church to get from God. Amen. That's backwards. Amen. Everything that we are to do is to give him glory. Amen. The moment that you said yes to Jesus, the moment that you received Christ in your heart and into your life, you were effectively giving up your life to follow his. Amen. You were saying, Lord, I'm surrendering my life so that your life can live in me. Amen. And so that is the process of being saved, right? It's receiving and acknowledging Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. That is being saved. That is receiving salvation that you cannot earn, that you cannot attend enough church services for, that you cannot, you know, listen to enough messages for. You can memorize the Bible frontwards and backwards. That still doesn't make you saved. You receive Jesus into your heart by faith. Amen? And because we receive him by faith, it is the grace of God that allows you to stand. Amen? But that process now from from being born again as a new believer, the next thing that's supposed to happen is you are now supposed to become a disciple of Jesus. You're supposed to become an individual that will sit at the feet of Jesus to learn. You're supposed to be an individual that is willingly placing your life before him on a daily basis saying, Lord, teach me. Show me, Holy Spirit. Reveal the truth of your word to my life. I receive what you have for me, Lord, and I will sit at your feet. That word disciple means to be disciplined by. Amen. It means that you have given him access into your life to teach you, show you, to place your life upon the potter's wheel and shape you however he sees fit. Amen. That is him being Lord in your life. 
But we learn from these first two verses, we learn that we are to be a people of compassion. Amen? How many of you know that Jesus was compassionate on you? Amen? The Bible says that we, while we were yet enemies of God, Christ died for us. The scripture says while we were yet powerless, he died in our place. To me, that's compassion. Amen? That is the, the, the model of compassion if I've ever seen it. The reason that he died for us is because he loves you unconditionally. He loves you endlessly. And that love of God is so powerful, amen? It's what drew you in. It's what caused you to surrender your life to this one who loves you and who has died for you and has given all for your life. That's what has drawn you in to Jesus, amen? The Bible says it's the loving kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It is knowing that you can do nothing about your condition, Nothing about your status to make yourself right with God, but knowing the fact that you have nothing to contribute, but yet he loves you. Yet he loves you. I say, yet he loves you despite all the things we've done wrong. Are you thankful for salvation in Jesus tonight? Amen. But the beautiful thing about this is, when you've given your heart to Jesus, you have now been given the heart of Jesus in your life. That means every single day your heart is to be transformed. Your heart is to become more and more in the likeness of God the Father. Wherever you go, whatever you do, however you speak, you do everything as a representative of Jesus. Wherever you go, whatever you say, you are representing God wherever you go. It's important to realize that because sometimes we think that we can go out to church, uh, go out to eat after Sunday church and treat the waiter or the waitress however we want. Nobody's ever done that, amen? Nobody's ever been that individual that's snapped their fingers at the waiter or the waitress and act like you are demanded service. I realize they have a job to do. But I realize our job and our assignment is to show Jesus and to love this world the way Jesus loves us. That's much more important than getting your food on time. Can somebody say amen tonight? The Bible says in John 13 and 35, the world will know you are my disciples if you love one another. So without love, you are effectively and ineffectively not a disciple. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we know the scripture, it talks about, the, it's the love chapter as we call it. 1 Corinthians 13 talks about love and it talks about this godly love. But it says if you could fathom all the mysteries and all the knowledge of the kingdom and all these revelations and all these kinds of things, but you have not love, it's just noise. It does not matter. If you go outside on a warm South Texas summer, you'll hear what are called chicharras. Anybody know what chicharras are? <laughs> They're those things that sound like electricity or something. <laughs> you know, like, and it, and, it, and it, I often wonder why God created certain things. I'm like, really, Lord? Like, do we, are, ne are mosquitoes necessary? You know, 
are chicharras necessary? I guess they are for some reason. I have no idea what animal eats them or, or how they benefit, you know, the ecosystem or anything like that. But all I know is that on a warm South Texas summer night, you can hear chicharras everywhere. I'll never forget when I first moved here, I was at my grandmother's house and they, they have a canal really close to their house. And so they have like trees along the canal. And I heard it for the first time. By the way, chicharras don't exist in Idaho, where I come from. Neither do roaches. <laughs> so I come here and I hear this loud buzzing sound. And I'm thinking like, what is going on? Like it sounded to me like the like a power line was buzzing, you know, like distortion from a speaker or something, you know, and I couldn't make sense of the sound. It to me was one of the most bothersome, annoying sounds because you can go outside at midnight and that thing is still making noise. And imagine that your life was contrasted to noise. That wherever you went, you became a bother to somebody. Wherever you associated with, wherever you wandered with in the world, you became like this annoying sound to people. When you don't have the love of Jesus, you are an annoying sound in the kingdom. You are effectively a chicharra. I can't show you the Bible verse for that, okay? <laughs> but you understand my point. <laughs> And so the Lord is looking for people that carry his heart. Yes? Amen. He's looking for people that carry his heart, his love, his life wherever we go. Amen. The second thing that we learned is we learned this is that discipleship is an individual that would sit at the feet of Jesus to be taught. To be a disciple is to be an individual that places yourself there. You place yourself before the Lord. Every single day, church, we have to place ourselves before God. Amen? If you do not place yourself before God, then other things are going to place themselves before you. Amen? If you don't place yourself before God, the first thing that you do in the morning, you know, you praise the Lord, you thank God, you pray, you read the word, then guess what? There's other things that are going to come into your life on a daily basis to, to, to place themselves before you and to effectively cause those things that they, they will want to cause you to become their disciple. I said it last week and I'll say it again. You know, we sit down in front of movies for two, three, four hours at a time. You pay the fee, you, you watch the movie, you sit there and you listen and you are discipled by what it shows you. You say, Pastor Duke, well, it's not like I'm there to learn, but you're sitting and you're listening. What else is there to do when you're watching a movie? You sit and listen. What's the difference between that and learning? Nothing. The difference, though, is the source from where you're getting your knowledge from. So if you watch a movie that has horrible language and horrible sceneries and all these kinds of things that a Christian should even be partaking of, you are effectively being discipled by that which you watch. Amen. You're effectively being discipled by that which you scroll through on social media every day. You're listening to people and you're listening to newscasters and you're listening to all kinds of demonic stuff or whatever. And you're watching these things and you're consuming it. And what is it doing? You are sitting there and giving it your attention. So therefore, it is discipling you. 
Jesus demands all or nothing. Do you remember the scripture in the book of Revelation that talks about He said, because you're neither hot nor cold, but you're what? Lukewarm? What happens? We are distasteful to God. I haven't spit out too much food in my life, but I have a time or two. And I can't imagine God saying to his creation and thinking, for you and I and saying, oh man, you know, here they are. Let me see. Let's see the fruit that they're bearing in their life. Let me check the fruit. How many of you have ever had like a, like a sour, you know, grape or something? You know, you, you have something that you think it's going to taste a certain way and then it tastes completely different. If you ever go to the, like a gas station or something and get like a fountain drink, sometimes they surprise you. Has that ever happened to anybody, right? No, all right, I'm not the only one. You go, to the, you go to the gas station, you get that fountain drink, and you put it in there, and you think it's supposed to be Pepsi or Coca-Cola or Sprite or whatever, and then you get it, and it's just carbonated water. It's disgusting. You spit it out. Pour it out, and then you get another one. For the Lord to have to pour out an individual like you and I, for the Lord to have to be displeased and, and, and have a distasteful taste in his mouth, it should show us something about our life. Now, most of us won't think that we're the lukewarm individual. Most of us don't think that we're the lukewarm individual. But God asks so much more than we give him. And God deserves so much more than we offer him. Everybody say this with me. Say, I can offer him more. We can offer the Lord more, church. We can offer him even greater and greater. We can serve him deeper. We can worship him more. We learned five things from James chapter one. We learned to be quick to listen. A teachable person has to listen to learn. A teachable person has to be an individual that allows themselves to listen to what the word is saying. The second thing that we learn from James in chapter one is to be slow to speak. That is, we've, God's given us two ears and one mouth for a reason. Two ears so we can listen twice as long and one mouth so that we can respond. Amen. Don't be that individual that when an in, somebody is trying to teach you something, you're, you're wanting to respond right away. Amen. Listen, learn, receive. The third thing that we learned was to be slow, to become angry. That is, a lot of people can struggle to become angry under given circumstances. But the truth is, is we have to be individuals that are what? That are representing Jesus well. The world will know you are my disciple if you love one another. Now, love can get angry too. Love can be, you know, Jesus is turning the tables in the, in the temple. It didn't mean that he didn't love the people. Amen? 
It just meant in that instance, he had to show them what was wrong and he had to correct what was wrong in that moment. But we have to be an individual that is slow to become angry. Ecclesiastes 7 says, The end of a matter is better than its beginning and patience is better than pride. It says, Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit for anger resides in the lap of fools. The fourth thing that we learn is to get rid of all moral filth. Now, I don't know what we don't understand about the word all, but all means all. Yes? Get rid of all moral filth. Jesus is going to come back for a spotless bride. He's coming back for a church and a people that have sold their lives to, to, to him, that have given themselves fully to him. There are individuals that every single day they, they are asking for Jesus to, to cleanse their life, to wash them in the blood, to transform them, mind, soul, body, and spirit, amen, in all of their ways. Jesus is all about righteousness, amen. We still serve a holy God, amen. We still serve a righteous God, amen. In 2 Corinthians 7 and 1, since we have these promises, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates the body and the spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Amen. And the fifth thing that we learn is to accept the word. Amen. Accept the word. The, accepting the word, the scripture says to humbly accept the word that is planted in you. Humbly receive it. Sometimes it's tough. Sometimes it feels good. Sometimes it doesn't feel good. Sometimes it's challenging. Sometimes it's, it's, you know, it might ruffle your feathers, so to speak. We have to accept the word. John Stott said this, we must allow the word of God to confront us, to disturb our security, to undermine our complacency, and to overthrow our patterns of thoughts and behavior. Amen. Let's read Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3, and this is where we'll continue tonight into the second part of this message. Matthew 5 and 3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray for tonight's word. Holy Spirit, we love you. We just trust, Lord, in this moment that you would speak to us. We open our hearts and our ears, Lord, to receive the truth that you have provided for us through your living word. Speak to us now, Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. In this verse that we read, it sounds kind of like a, an oxymoron, if you will. It says, blessed are the poor. You see, it doesn't really make sense initially if you just read it for face value. Because a lot of people think that this scripture might be associated with, with being blessed as in having money. But the, this verse says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So I want to answer this question tonight. What does it mean to be blessed in the spirit? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Being poor in spirit does not mean that a man must be poverty stricken or financially poor. It's not what this means. Hunger, nakedness, and slums are not the things that are ideally pleasing to God, especially in a world of plenty. But Christ is not talking about a material poverty. He means that what he says is poor in the spirit, being poor in the spirit means several things. And number one is this, it means to acknowledge your spiritual need. So if you're taking notes, write that down. Being poor in the spirit means to acknowledge our spiritual need. Have you ever had a reason to ask something from God because you needed it? 
We've all done that. We've all said, Lord, I, I, I need a better job. God, I need, you know, prayer for a, a family member. God, we need healing, finances, food, a new car. God, some breakthrough in our life. Whatever it was, it was a need. Amen? And those needs that you have, they must first be met through the Spirit. I'll say that one more time. The needs that we have in our life must first be met through the Spirit. You didn't pray to a doctor for healing. You prayed for God to heal you. Amen? And God can use the doctor. Amen? We thank God for that. But you didn't pray for the doctor for a healing. Neither did you pray to Ford or Chevy for your new car miracle. Or whatever brand you have. Toyota, Honda, name them all. I didn't say, oh, Lord of Ford. <laughs> I would like a new truck this year. <laughs> no, it doesn't work that way. I ask the Lord to give me the means to do so, and then I go to this, the car lot and I get a car. But you pray to God, amen? You pray to the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This definition of pouring the Spirit means to acknowledge our utter helplessness before God. To acknowledge our utter helplessness before God, our spiritual poverty, and our spiritual need. We are solely dependent on God to meet our needs. Amen. How many of you know him that way? That is, you're solely dependent on him to meet your need. Poor in the spirit is an interesting phrase to modern ears and outside religious circles anyways. But that traditional explanation is that it means People who recognize their own spiritual poverty and their need for God. How many of you need God? Amen. How many of you need God more than you needed him yesterday? Amen. So that's what it means to be poor in the spirit to say, God, I am nothing without you. I am absolutely nothing without you, God. I, I don't exist, God. I don't have purpose. I don't have, you know, a place in this world, God, if I don't have you. Amen. You are everything that I need. God is all that we need. You will find out in this world if you've lived with God long enough that God will allow things to come and go in your life so that you can realize and so that you can fully depend on him. Family members might come and go. Relationships and people and, 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 you know, associations that you have might come and go. Say, well, I like my friends and this and that. And God's saying, you need me as your friend. Well, I like that job, God, but no, no, no. Are you going to trust me? Oh, but that job was good and it was this and that. Are you going to trust me? Are you fully going to place your life and your dependency upon who I am? Everything about your being belongs to God. Be it living for Christ, fulfilling the commandments of God, and having your sins forgiven. We are dependent on him for everything. Amen. And we cannot forget the fact that we can do nothing about our spiritual poverty. See, this is, the, this is the idea that I mentioned in the very beginning when saying that we think sometimes that because we come to church or because we hold a position in the church that somehow that qualifies us before God. And that has nothing to do with it. It has nothing to do with the fact that you and I can do nothing 
about our spiritual poverty, about our great need to know him. We have nothing to offer God. Did you know that? The Bible says that our works are like filthy rags. The beautiful thing about Jesus is that he includes us in his plan, yes? But we need him a lot more than he needs us. Amen. Without Christ, our merits, our good works, and our good living would still keep us spiritually bankrupt. It's only because of the grace of Jesus that you are saved. Amen. God is our need meter. John 3 and verse 27 says, To this John replied, A man can receive only what is given to him from heaven. Everything that we have, whether it be good health and finances and all these things that we have in this life, you had nothing to do with it, and he had everything to do with it. The Bible says that it rains on both the righteous and the unrighteous. Even before people acknowledge him as Lord and Savior, even before they bow their knee to acknowledge him as, as, their, as their Lord, he is still doing for them. He's still giving to them. He's still protecting them and making a way for them. Titus 3 and 3 says this. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. It says we lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. It says, but when the kindness and the love of our God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Amen. He saved us through the washing of, and of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Amen. Amen and amen. Marnie Swedberg said this, Trusting God is choosing to act in utter dependence upon him. Trying harder is opting to retain control. <laughs> I'll say that one more time. Trusting God is choosing to act in utter dependence upon him, but trying harder is opting to retain control. This thing about living in the kingdom, often, sometimes it, we, we find ourselves striving to receive from God, striving to please God, it's striving. And there's this human effort behind everything that we do because inherently we desire to please God. And we feel as though like we can, you know, somehow become so disciplined and, and so good and so straight and so, you know, just, you know, our actions are so good. And, oh, we don't say a bad word and we don't think a bad thought. Listen, none of that is possible without the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And so sometimes we have this, this issue where we unlock ourselves from the Holy Spirit and we're trying to do it on our own. I'll never forget, my dad told me one time, we were having a conversation before he passed, and he said, you know, son, I try real hard. He goes, I'll, I'll concentrate and I'll try like a whole day or a whole week, you know, that not, to, not to say a bad word. And so he's like, you know, and I'm, I'm really trying. 
And he's like, I'll get, you know, two, three, four days. And then all of a sudden, boom, bad word comes out. And I told him, I said, Dad, listen, you have to understand that our flesh is, is, is valuable. Your flesh is going to mess up. But we're not supposed to live according to our flesh. We're supposed to allow and ask the Holy Spirit to strengthen us. Amen. And it's only through the, the, uh, the enabling of the Holy Spirit that you are able to, to not say that word. To not think that thought, to not go to that place, to not, you know, do a certain thing, commit, commit sin because it's the Holy Spirit who is leading your life. He must increase and we must decrease. But it says trying harder. I love what she said. Trying harder is opting to retain control. That means you think you can get a hold of it. You think that somehow if you just try really hard and be perfect, that somehow he's going to accept you. He will accept nobody. It's only those who are washed in the blood of Jesus, who fully surrendered their hearts and their lives to him, that he will receive to himself. Amen. And so when you and I become people that realize that we can't do life on our own, then and only then we will become dependent upon God and become poor in the spirit. C.S. Lewis said this, there's two kinds of people. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says, all right, then have it your way. There's people that say, you know what? I'm going to handle it on my own. And God says, go for it. Have it your way. But God wants us to be the individual that what? That says, Lord, that will be done. Your will be done in my life. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Another way of saying it would be, cursed are the rich in the flesh, for heaven won't be their inheritance. <laughs> the second thing to be poor in the spirit means is to give credit to God. How many of you gave God credit today? You gave him the glory. Amen? You gave him the praise. Sometimes as people, we can, we can acknowledge friends and family and, you know, situations and peers and luck and ourselves. And we credit ourselves for the blessings that God himself has given us. See, it's because I was, you know, really good at work. And I got that promotion. You know, it's because I was really, you know, you know, I'm just, I'm a, I'm a hardworking individual. It's because that's the reason why I have what I have. And sometimes we fail to acknowledge him for everything that he has done for us. Another definition of being poor in the spirit means to acknowledge our utter lack in facing life and eternity apart from God. To acknowledge that the real blessings of life and eternity come only from a right relationship with God. Amen. That is so much truth. As much as I would like to thank friends and family and this church and, you know, pastor and so many people that have been a powerful part of my life. If it wasn't for God placing this church here and these people here and our pastor here, then I wouldn't be here. Amen. But to God be all the glory. Amen. To God be all the glory. Just think for a moment of a godless life. I want you to just think about that just for a second. Think for a moment about a godless life. How many of you can remember before you accepted Jesus in your heart? How many of you remember your life before then? Amen. 
If you don't, then maybe you're not saved. <laughs> you need to remember the difference. If you don't know the day, then, then I would seriously question it. So remember who you were before you were saved. Go back to that place. Did you know that that was not a godless life? It was not a God-honoring life, but it wasn't a godless life. He was working in people around you before you came to know him. Amen. Think of it when you were, you know, in complete disobedience to God and you did not feel his presence. You, you were living your life on your own in complete rebellion, not acknowledging God. Guess what? Still not a godless life. And so God has been working around you all day, day after day since your existence. Amen. When you were supposed to get into that accident, it was the angels of God that brushed that car aside that spared you for another day. Amen. When you had brushes with death in your life, God said it was not your time to go. When you consciously wanted to give up on God, it was the breath of the Holy Spirit that breathed life into you and kept you trusting in God. It's always been about him, even for somebody that might have wanted to take their own life. God was there loving you back to him. You see, we don't know what it's like to live a godless life. And so you should thank God right now for everything that he has done for you. Amen. Can somebody praise the Lord tonight? You should sing him a new song. Amen. You should share his mercy and his grace and his love with somebody. You should rejoice in the fact that Jesus is still alive. Amen. Ephesians 1 and 3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Luke 17 verse 11 says this, On his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, there were ten men that had leprosy that met him. And they stood at a distance and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And it says, and when he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, he came back praising God in a loud voice, and he threw himself at Jesus' feet, and he thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. And Jesus asked, he said, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except for this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. All the time, church, people come to Christ with needs. Every single week and weekend, they fill our churches seeking God's hand of favor upon their life. But all too often, they receive their blessing and they fail to return to give credit where credit is due. And I have to say this, church, do not be one of the nine. Don't be one of the nine that gets the blessing, that gets the healing, that receives some powerful thing from God and just walks away with it. Not acknowledging the fact that it was God and God alone that blessed your life in that moment. Joyce Meyer said that pride is an independent, me-oriented spirit. It makes people arrogant. It makes people rude and hard to get along with. 
It says when our heart is prideful, we don't give God the credit and we mistreat people looking down on them and thinking that we deserve what we have. God deserves all the glory. God deserves all the praise. Amen. He alone deserves it, church. He alone deserves it every single day. I pray that your mouth never stops reciting the praises of God. It doesn't get old. Amen. I'll say that one more time. It doesn't get old to say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you for blessing my home, my family. Every time I pray with my girls, we we pray nightly, and when we have those moments of prayer, it, it, it's, it's the same prayer a lot of times. And we'll start off by thanking Jesus for giving us a beautiful home. Thanking Jesus for giving us comfortable beds. For giving us the ability to have rest. For protecting us through the night. We thank Jesus for our health and our food. And we always say, you know, thank you, Lord, for the papa that we had today. And Thank you, Lord, for, for just the, the protection that you give our lives. And you know what, church? He never gets tired of hearing it. Because today he protected you. Today he provided for you. Today he strengthened you. Today he filled your heart with hope. Today the Bible says that he renewed his mercy in your life. He's done so many things for us, amen? And we owe him all, 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 all of the praise. And finally, I want us to change our hearts to be poor in the spirit means this, is that we acknowledge that we're no different from anyone else. We acknowledge that we're no different from anyone else. Most Christians quickly turn up their nose at the world, and this is an interesting concept to me. Because when we should be coming more like Jesus... There's this thing that happens when an individual has stayed in the church long enough that sometimes this thing called stagnancy sets in and then it turns from stagnancy to religious religiosity, if, I could, if that's even a word, where all of a sudden we think that we're part of this elite group of individuals that walk the earth and, and cast out devils and you know, declare things in Jesus' name. And most Christians, like I said, they get to a point where they begin to turn up their nose at other individuals. And they think that they're better than other people. That's the exact opposite of being a disciple. Nowhere in scripture does it say for us to be called Christians. That's not our label we're disciples. And first, when you learn how to be a disciple and sit at the feet of Jesus and learn from him, then you're able to become an apostle. What's the difference? We go from now learning to leading. We go from individuals that were there, that were, that were you know, sitting at the feet of Jesus and learning everything that we could from the Holy Spirit and being taught by the word of God that now all of a sudden we are able to teach others. We're able to lead others to him. We're able now to be individuals that carry the mantle and the anointing of God with us wherever we go. 
If you remember that before Jesus ascended into heaven, he gave them a mission. He said that you were to go to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And the reason that he gave them this assignment was because the gospel was meant to be shared and spread. But something happened when they were anointed and they were empowered with the power of the Holy Spirit. They were transformed and they were transferred from individuals that sat and listened and sat and just, you know, were people that that were doing exactly what you're doing right now, which is listening and learning. And then all of a sudden, when the Holy Spirit came upon their life, they began to do and they began to live and they began to lead and they began to be a part of the plan of God. I have to say this. Evaluate your life and see where you are in that timeline. See where you are in that timeline. If you have not yet led somebody to Jesus, keep getting discipled by the word. But one day you're going to lead somebody to Jesus. Amen. Amen. One day you're going to participate in the plan of God in reaching this world for his kingdom. One day you will do that. The last thing that we should do, though, is become so superior in our spirituality that we treat the world as inferior. Luke chapter 6, verse 32, Jesus said, If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. Verse 35, but love your enemies. Everybody say love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. If Jesus, the one who would give his life as the penalty for all sin, could be grateful and kind to the wicked, how much more should we? How much more should we be living epistles, like the word calls us, living testimonies in this world of the love of God? So we have to realize that we're no better, we're no richer, we're no more superior than the next person. No matter our greatest achievements, our attitude towards others should not be proud or haughty or superior or overbearing. To be poor in spirit means acknowledging that every human being is a real person just like you. Acknowledging that people have feelings just like you have feelings. The people get offended just like you get offended. The people go through pain and trial and circumstance in their life just like you've gone through pain and trials and circumstance. A person who has a significant 
contribution to make society and to the world a better place. They have purpose in becoming the next generation of the church. That person to be poor in spirit approaches life in humility and in appreciation, not as though life owes them, but as though they owe their life to Jesus, the life giver, the creator, and God Almighty. We owe him our life. He's been given the privilege of living. Therefore, this individual will journey through life with a humble attitude. They will contribute all they can to the needy and to the lost world without, without appreciation, without desire for acknowledgement. Pour in the spirit. Recognize your spiritual need. Give credit to God and acknowledge that we're no different from anyone else. Who wants heaven tonight? Whose desire is heaven? The one day, God, that we would see the Lord in glory in heaven, in that place of complete immunity to this world. Heaven is so much of a different place than we experience here on earth. You've never not known a fallible world. You've never not known a sin. Full, a sinless world, rather. But heaven is a place of perfection in the presence of Jesus. And we must remind ourselves, church, that we would be nowhere without him. And as long as that we have breath, he deserves the glory and the honor forever. Did you know that you are pilgrims in this world? That means that we're just passing through. This world is not our destination. It's not our final resting place. But one day, one day there will be a Thanksgiving banquet in heaven prepared for every person that called upon the name of Jesus. Amen. For every person that served this king and his kingdom. I want us to read that verse one more time. Matthew 5 and 3. Read it with me, church. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Francis Fenelon said this, Blessed are they who are stripped of everything, even their own wills, that they may no longer belong to themselves. The inheritors of heaven will take nothing from this earth with us. The inheritors of heaven will take nothing from this world with us. The things that you strive for on a daily basis, the goals that you try to achieve are so minimal, so minute, and honestly, they're worthless before God. They're nothing in comparison to knowing Him. They're nothing. And the difference between an individual that will inherit the kingdom of heaven and one that won't is being known by him. Is being the individual that sat at his feet. He said, Jesus, I want what you have. I'm willing to sit here. I'm willing to stay here. I'm willing to say, you know what? I'm done trying to live my life. I'm done trying to fulfill the things that I wanted to fulfill in this world. So that one day, 
I could inherit your kingdom. I could be truthful with you tonight, church, and say this, that in my life, I haven't always had this as my focus. I've had moments where I've had my focus elsewhere. Sometimes it was on ministry. Sometimes it was family, all kinds of stuff. But we owe him and we owe to love him with our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. You might be thinking, Pastor Duke, you know, I've found myself in those moments where I start chasing other things. I start chasing distractions. I start chasing, climbing, you know, the, the, the work ladders get caught up in all these things. And you know what? Jesus is in every realm of society and he knows that you have to be where you are. But more than that, he wants to invade your heart in such a way that you take him with you wherever you go. Inheritors of heaven take nothing from this life, nothing. So that should teach us that we will one day inherit heaven if we realize every day that we can't do it on our own. Every day our great need and dependency for him. For his strength, for his power, for his peace. Every day we need him. First Peter 1 and 3 says, praise to God for a living hope. It says, praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Join us next time for another uplifting message. If you'd like to support this ministry and the reaching out of others, you have the opportunity to give at rockofagesaog.org give.